The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. You're that deaf one, aren't you? My mum told me all about you. All this. What you can sign. My name... Amy. My name Amy. Amy! God, can you even read sign language? Here, you change. Now, skedaddle. How do you do skedaddle? Go on. Bye, Amy. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that lost count of the number of times Tim's dad made me want to put my foot through the TV, caused me to burn several liturgies and got one of the most popular tweets by summing these emotions up in five words. I'm Gavin. And I have a kidney stone. Amongst other things. Yeah. This <laughs> is how much I love you people, that I'm sitting upright with a hot water bottle in my lap, recording a podcast about Coronation Street. Yeah, not a huge amount of fun this week. No. Either real life or Coronation Street. No. How, how long were we at the uh, emergency room? We were in the ER from 4.15 until uh, 11.50 at night. I yeah. Didn't get home until about half midnight. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah, you sent me a text at 4 o'clock saying, Come to Sparrow ER ASAP. Yeah. Which was the most urgent thing about anything that happened over the next seven hours <laughs> was your ASAP. Yeah. And then that's, a, that's, a, that's a great text message to receive, by the way, with no context. And you Thanks be- for that. And you you beat me to the hospital. Well, I was in a lot of pain and was trying to, you know, maneuver my way out of the doctor's office because my doctor said, you need to go. You need to go now. Your doctor did offer you an ambulance, all right? Three times. Yeah. Maybe listen to your fucking doctor. (laughs) You say that now, but you wouldn't have been saying that if we got an ambulance bill. Anyway. (sighs) Yeah, yeah, that that Tim's dad, what a tit, tweet, without a treat. Much better than uh, my tweet that I actually worked a little hard on about uh, Meghan and Harry naming their son after Archie from... Coronation Street, who died, I thought that was going to get a lot more likes. And I think it got one. No, it got more than one, but I think it was overtaken in a lot of ways by another tweet about the Royal Baby. Uh, yeah, let's just not let's, talk let's about not that. Let's not talk about that. No. <laughs> but then there was the bright side of my friend Steve from Birmingham, who sent his care package, which arrived at pretty much the perfect time, correct? Mm-hmm. Steve has been meaning to send us, he says for years, a case of, like, just a box of British chocolate. So that arrived. Was it the day after the ER thing? Yes. Yeah, and, and it was it was spurred on by our Common Language episode about chocolate. 
Yeah, which we did a month ago. We still haven't done another one. Yeah, well, I have a kidney stone, amongst other things. Yeah, well, you can record this podcast. Yeah, but this podcast doesn't require me to do any research. That's true. (laughs) We'll get to it, people. We'll get to it. So, what was in the... We had uh, Galaxy Ripples. I had one of them. There was a Yorkie bar. I had one of them. That's all I've eaten. Um... Did you try the caramel? There's a caramel in there. Yeah. No, I haven't eaten it yet because remember I asked you to get uh, an American caramello. <laughs> so so that I could compare the ingredient lists. Oh, right. So, so I haven't actually eaten it yet, but I'll get to it. I promise. And there are lots of other lovely things. There were um, Cadbury buttons, which I opened a packet this morning and dipped them in peanut butter. And it was fantastic. So I tweeted Cadbury. Because you're a monster. I tweeted Cadbury UK. horrible. And said, you should do this. You should make little button peanut butter sandwiches. And they replied to my tweet. I was so happy. It was like the best thing ever. Oh, best thing ever. Best thing ever. Best thing. It's right up there with uh, that one time that Neil Gaiman retweeted me. Remember that? I was a bit more impressed than Cadbury's because all they did was say, yeah, you should work for us. Ha ha ha. Ha ha. Ha ha ha. You mentalist. Because that's what they'd be thinking when they looked at that picture of your Cadbury's buttons with what looked like shites and you're doing it. No, it was obviously peanut butter and it was delicious. It was obviously peanut butter. It was good. obviously peanut butter. Yeah, we haven't said... looked like shite. We haven't said anything yet about Coronation Street. I did. And we've I, been recording for five minutes separate separate Tim's dad stuff. I did. I said I didn't really like it this week. Yeah. I it wasn't the worst week ever. No. No, there was some joy, I guess, but there was, it wasn't an the, awful lot was it, was it the best? of Tim's dad in it. Was it the best? No. But it certainly wasn't the worst. There were aspects of it that I think were up there with the yeah. amongst the worst. There Mostly on on Monday, I think. Was it Monday? We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah. Shall we preamble then, my dear? Please. Our mailbag, Steve from, and not Steve from Birmingham. No. Steve from just down the street. Yes. Steve <laughs> he, down the street. Not. He really enjoyed the interview with Glenda. It sounds like you two are kindred spirits, Gav. I hope she comes on the show again soon. It'd be interesting to hear more about her time at ITV and her relationship with the show's producers. Glenda must be a phenomenally organised person to corral 16 writers as they publish over 200 blog posts a month for the Cory blog. All that while writing her own Cory update, a weekly soap opera in People's Friend, and her own novels. It reminds me of the old adage, if you want something done, ask a busy woman to do it. True dad. Then John G got in touch. He agreed, a great interview with Glenda. She really is inspirational and does such a great job with the blog. You'll probably check for Hindsight Corner, but David does indeed have epilepsy. It came to light when he blacked out while driving and hit Graham, his former cellmate. They don't mention it very often, just like Nick's brain injury. Speaking of Nick, if they are trying to make him the most vile and slimiest character ever, then they are almost there. Mm. No, I agree with that. Was Nick in it this week? No. No, he wasn't. No. It's, it's Ben Price fan saw. page that I feel sorry for. <laughs> then Canadian Helen uh, wished us congratulations. Happy 50th podcast, Helen and Gavin. I always enjoy your show and even more so that it was longer than usual. I've got an idea for Corey Podcast merchandise. How about a Cory podcast tote bag so fans can carry their messages? I Aww. love the fact that she said messages. That made, that made me smile. Tote. Helen is actually writing this down. Bag. 
On it, Helen. <laughs> and in terms of tweets, today we hit 170 followers. Woohoo! Remember back at the start of the year we were kind of 17. coming in our pants a little bit over getting 36. Yeah. Well, you were. Well, <laughs> that, that happens. <laughs> you learn to live with it. Ah, so, this is like... We've been doing this for a whole year now. This is our pretty much our anniversary, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And we're at 51 because we missed one week. That's right. When yeah. we drove out in the summer to Connecticut, we didn't do it at all. Right. But I think we've even we've put something out every other week apart. Oh, no, we took Christmas off. So but we've, so but we still had some, yeah, but we still had something in the feed over Christmas because we put a common language episode in the feed. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, so because it was a year that the whole Gale monologue that I hated, and and that I loved, yeah, that's when that, that happened. Lots of other people loved. So, um, so yeah, you're wrong and I'm right. I'm not the only person that hates this. There's yeah. plenty of people that hate it. Yeah, but there are also plenty of people who love it. So, neener neener. Hindsight corner. Ah, blue 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 blue. Where does Mary live? We were confused as to why Mary didn't live at number three, which is her <clears throat> husband's house. Correct. She stays at number seven with Dev and is something of a living nanny to his kids. I'm trying to think if I knew that or not. Well, we knew that she helped take care of the kids. Yeah. But I don't think I don't we think knew, I knew that, she lived, that she lived there. These houses are all... Far bigger on the inside than they appear on the outside, aren't they? Yeah. What'd I wonder dr- why. What you drinking? I have in my Doctor Who cup water with a splash of lime juice because I'm drinking lots of water to try to get rid of this kidney stone. And then I also have makombucha, the turmeric one, which is delicious. And helps out with lots of things, like anti-inflammatory stuff. So, good stuff, good healthy stuff. Trying to be healthy, as healthy as possible, so that I can maybe, you know, function normally for once. Well, good luck with that. Thanks. What are you drinking? There's something new over there. I have a water, and I have a Bell's Oberon. It is it is Bell's Oberon season here in, in Michigan. Yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah. It, and I got one the other week and rather enjoyed it. I think it's going to give me tits, though. So I can't drink a lot of it. But yeah. it's quite nice. And it's a, a welcome change to the relatively tasteless Coors Light. Yeah, um, our our governor was uh, tweeted out a, a picture of herself when Oberon came out for the year, you know, serving pints of it and cranking it out and stuff behind the bar. So it's it's really a uh, a Michigan institution at this point. So it's a seasonal? Yes. I didn't realise it was a yeah, seasonal. Yeah, it's Bell's summer seasonal. Because a Two-Hearted is out all year. Yeah, Two-Hearted is out all year, but not Oberon. Oberon's special because he's the king of the fairies. It's quite summery. It has a little bit of a zesty yes. flavour to it. You had one? I've had them in the past, yes. Hmm. All right. I'm not drinking at the moment. Shall we dive in with you? <laughs> just, just, uh, yes, please. 
Our first story tonight, it's a strange one to open with tonight. This was the Asher and I can't believe they've got a character called Cory on Cory. And it's a boy. Because every time they say Cory, I think they're saying Cory. Yeah. But they're not saying Cory. Yeah. They're saying Cory. It's weird. I don't like it. And Amy's in this and... Summer. Summer. Yeah. The three amigos. On Monday, Mary's getting Addy and Asher ready for their tutoring on a bank holiday. Dev is full on Dev as he goes out for a jog. And then later, Dev and Steve are jogging in Dev's store, arguing about who has the smartest kids when Dev gets a call and a rude awakening from Asher's tutor. Apparently there seems to be something of an issue. Yes. And the tutor is Irish. Is it? Yeah. Yes, she is. Because when when Dev answers the phone, he says, top of the morning to you. Oh, dear. Yeah. Why would he do that? Because he's Dev. So later at Speed Dial, Asha explains that she finished the test early and asked to be excused and just left. And that's what the issue apparently was. Whoa. And that's all that happened on Monday. Right. Then on Wednesday, Amy, Asha and Summer are taking a selfie outside the cabin. Asha thinks she looks hideous. Mary offers to take the photo, but Amy snarks that it's a selfie. Hello? Oh, well, go fuck yourself, says Mary. And then Asha gets a text from this Corey. Heartthrob much? And the girls seem to miss their bus to school. Yes, or they, they almost miss the bus because they're like running out. I don't really like Amy this week. Amy's showing her Tracy side this week. I thought... She's quite rude all the way through. Yeah, she's a bit of a... She's a little, bit of a cow, cow to yeah. lots of people. Yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah. It's the first time you're like, oh yeah, that's that's Tracy's kid. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Yes. Amy. Then the girls go into the cabin and Amy realises that Frida is the deaf one her mum was going on about. My name is Amy, signs Amy. <laughs> Your name Emu? Says Frida. Frida. Confused. And Rita tells them to skedaddle, which we also learned what the sign for skedaddle is. Yes, and again, Amy is a cow, telling Frida she needs to learn sign language properly. Yeah. Like, what? You don't even... You're too stupid to know sign language, you deaf person who's been speaking in sign language longer than I've been on this planet. It made me wonder why she signs to people who don't know sign language. I think I think many people... Many people um, who are deaf will will do that just in case, just to make sure that what they're saying is clear. Because you don't always want to assume that somebody doesn't know sign language. But if they don't know sign language, then how does that clear anything up? I think a lot of sign language is kind of self-explanatory. Oh, I don't think so at all. Like, like, whoosh, the skedaddle. Hmm. Vagina. Yeah, that was used a lot. <laughs> it wasn't. It's just. It's one of those things that I know in American Sign Language because of um, the um, Master of None show on Netflix, and also it's hilarious because the sign for vagina is very close to the sign for pizza. Oh, you don't want to get them mixed up. No. The only one I know is bullshit. Really? The sign for bullshit. Yeah. What's the sign for bullshit? It's not. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Is that that's that's British sign language though? That's not American. Oh, I've absolutely no idea. <laughs> no idea. There's a difference. And it, and uh, Jesus Bible. Yeah, doing signs on a podcast is really a great idea. Should we, should, we should make this a feature where we <laughs> where we sign things. This is a sign for onomatopoeia. 
because nobody can see what I'm doing. Oh dear. It's be dull. Amy is there with Asha when Corey arrives. Amy takes a photo of them and then recommends a poppadom, which she says is the cheapest thing in here after Asha. Again, Amy being a yeah, cow. A little bit of a cow here. Then later, after much poppadom, uh, Amy makes her excuses and leaves Asha and Corey together. But it turns out that he's not all that interested in, in Asha. It seems and, like he's interested in Amy. Yeah, and would far rather be with Amy. He says, tell Amy I'll text her later. And Asha is left. With the bill. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that yeah. was... Because it seemed like Amy was trying to do Asha a favour by inviting Corey along. Because she knows that Asha has a thing for Corey. And that's why she pretends that she has to leave that her mom has called her off so that Asha could be alone with him. Yeah, she was definitely trying to set them up. but Right, but was also being quite rude. And also not saying, well, here's money for my half of the pompadoms. Yeah, because I think the pompadoms were like about 50 pence or something like that. I don't think they were that expensive. No, but still. But still. She, yeah, she upped and left. So on Friday... Dev isn't happy when Asha goes to school, suddenly deciding to wear makeup. He sends her home to take it off, but she says all the girls are wearing it and she doesn't have time and she just leaves anyway. And Summer and Amy are sitting in the bus shuttle watching a video of no one I've ever heard of. I don't know if you picked up on who it was. Somebody. Somebody dreamy. Mm. The girls are taken aback when Asha... Oh, somebody named Ryan. Ryan. But not that Ryan. No. The girls are taken aback when Asha marches past them without a word or a look, and they're worried that she's going to bunk off the tests. But round the corner, Asha is crying. I don't think we've seen as much of Asha as we have this week. Yeah. In, the, in the past year, it we've seems, seen more of her. It seems this like week. we're getting the younger generation stories mm-hmm. beginning. So, a very disgruntled Asha meets the girls in Speed Dal and for some reason doesn't admit to Amy that Corey actually fancies her. And she actually seems to try to blame Amy for this. This is all Amy's fault. And Amy has no idea of what she's talking about. Mm, maybe. Then Dev gets a call from school and discovers that uh, Asha hasn't sat the test. He says he'll speak to her and get back to them. And he calls Asha, but of course it goes to voicemail. Yes. And Tim wonders if she's with a lad. And Dev confronts Asha at the shop about the test and she pretends that she sat it so he knows that she's a liar and she's skived off. What reason could she have? And she tells him that he has no idea what's going on in her life. So he asks her and she just says that she's stressed out. He tells her to ask for help. She's been working so hard but then Addy drops her in it saying that she spends all day and all night on Snapchat. So Dev confiscates her phone until the tests are over. But it transpires that Asha has a spare phone that Dev doesn't know about. Uh-huh. But Addy knows about this. Mm-hmm. And he says, what's stopping me from grassing you up? And Asha just... blackmails him back about some in-app purchases that he's been making with Dev's credit card. Yeah. And that's how we finish that storyline for the week. Yeah. I am concerned that the reason why this Corey person is into Amy is because Amy obviously is no longer a virgin. So yeah, he thinks that there's she's an easy. assumption that she's easy. Yeah. I'm hoping that's not the case. That's what I'm assuming is happening. Yeah. Which would really which would really suck. Where is Asha going though? No, we don't know. We don't we have no idea where she's going because she's obviously not meeting up with this Corey kid because this Corey kid is obviously not into her. Yep. And she's not Snapchatting them because, again, he's not in here. Right. Her makeup was awful. 
<laughs> you know, it was like she was trying to um, do some contouring, but it was so obvious. And there was nothing else except for these contour lines on her cheeks that it was kind of like. And it was weird because Emma says, oh, I like your I like your lippy. What shade is that? And it didn't look like she was wearing any lippy at all. It was like a pale pink or something. Hmm. Hmm. She's just a kid. Right. Who doesn't typically wear makeup, so... No. Yeah, so I don't know where that aspect of it's going. I don't know. How old is she? 15? Oh, 14? In, in that kind of ballpark, I would assume. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to wear makeup until I was 16. I and, was and not I allowed was... to wear makeup until... <laughs> oh, it was a very drunken night out. When and, I... and your mom said it was okay? Well, I think I'd, yeah, I'd moved out by that point. And I went to a, it was a, a fancy dress work night out. Uh huh. And I went in drag. Yeah, I, Water I remember. Under the bridge. I remember being like so angsty and oh, I want to wear makeup. I want to wear makeup. Then once I turned sixteen, I wore it for like half a year, and then I was like, I don't really have time for this. No, you don't wear makeup an awful lot. No, I don't. I, I wear it to go out occasionally, and you know, oh, very occasionally when. Yeah, like for special occasions yeah. and occasions when I'm pretty sure my photograph is going to be taken. And that's about it. Because I wore it to your uh, thing, your citizenship thing. Yeah. Yeah. Our next story is Tim's fucking dad. Mm. Yeah, I... I can't remember I the really last time I was so angry at Corey. I just, I'm, I'm so done with this character. I really am. So done with him. Where's feeling when you need him? Seriously. Come on. We need that new villain, ASAP. I need to Tim's put a dad. Bullet in Tim's dad's head. Handcuffed to a radiator <laughs> in a basement somewhere. Just left to rot. That's, that would please me so much. I fucking hate Tim's dad. Uh, <sighs> so on Monday, we start with Tim's dad and Yasmin are chatting about the meal that they're going to have tonight. Tim's dad says that he hasn't heard from Tim to confirm that he's coming. He catches her checking out Dev's legs as Dev goes jogging by and wonders why she never compliments him. Right, yeah, because Yasmin says to Dev as he jogs by, oh, nice legs. You know, which is... Yeah, but it's like, it's one of those things that you just say to a friend who you don't see their legs very often. You know, it means nothing. Ah. <sighs> So Tim's dad turns up at streetcars. Tim's dad asks Tim to refuse the invitation to dinner because he wants a night in with Yasmin on his own. And Tim is confused. He's confused, but he doesn't really give a shit and agrees, agrees like, yeah, to pretend sure, that whatever. he has an upset stomach. Then Alia is at home wondering why Yasmin is cooking. Tim's dad was pretty insistent that he was going to be cooking for her. That's the old plan, says Yasmin. This is a new plan. She's cooking for Tim and Sally to demonstrate how tasty her healthy food can be. I'm unclear why Yasmin gives so much of a shit about this. Because, I don't know. Because Sally was really quite rude about about curry. Well, curries and are typically fattening and well, not really healthy. They can be quite healthy. There's lots of good, healthy stuff in them. Turmeric, for example. Yeah, but all that cream that's in your korma or all that cream that's in your tikka masala, that's not... It's coconut milk. That's not very good for you. It can be quite healthy, and a lot of the spices and stuff are anti-inflammatories and are good for you. 
So it, it just, it depends. I mean, some are fatty and then some are not. But still, uh, Sally shouldn't be slacking off an entire culture's uh, food. Hmm. Just because she thinks some of it's unhealthy. Tim's dad is back from the co-op. Uh, he wants a kitchen. He tells Jasmine that Tim and Sally can't make it and he wants Jasmine to freeze her food and disappointed, she reluctantly agrees. Yeah, she spent all day cooking. But no, no, no. You put your stuff in the freezer, love. We'll eat it some other time and let me make you a really boring chicken casserole <laughs> instead. Jasmine is off for a bath and casually mentions that Alia will be dr- joining them for dinner. And Tim's dad is like, oh, for the love of God. So Alia comes home and Tim's dad asks her to do one. And Yasmin catches him. You can't throw Alia out of her own house. But Alia has realised that if her only social option is to hang out with her gran and Tim's fucking dad, she really is a sad case. She really is a sad case. Be nice. She leaves him to it and Tim's dad wonders why Yasmin will do anything to avoid spending time with him. They live uh, together uh, and they work together. She never gets any time away from him. What is his... Uh, First Tim and Sally, then Alia. Who next? Dev? She obviously fancies him, and Tim's dad says, why don't she and Dev enjoy his chicken casserole, and then he flounces off. Nobody wants your chicken casserole, Tim's dad. And Tim's dad is sulking in the backyard. He apologises to Yasmin for being jealous, but they never have any time together. They have (sighs) all the time together. Yasmin has never been used to having quiet time and wants to go back to the original plan of the two of them having dinner. Nicely done, Tim's dad. You utter wank. Then Tim's dad and Yasmin are having dinner. Then Dennis Russoff reminds Tim's dad of a disappointing holiday with Tim's mum. That's right. Because it's a Tim's dad, there has to be a Tim's mum. Right. God bless that woman. I think she's dead, isn't she? Yeah, I wonder wonder how she killed herself. It was a magic show accident. Yeah. Accident. Mm-hmm. Right. Yasmin is reminded of Abigail's party, which Tim's dad thinks was one of her school friends. Oh, just butler. Tim's dad fishes for compliments on his casserole. Yasmin says Which it was, looks awful. Yasmin says it was good, but Tim's dad pretends that he wants honest feedback. So she tells him that his dumplings are tasteless because she mistook them for being cauliflower. Tim's dad starts sulking again, so Yasmin suggests that they go to the pub, which seems to frustrate Tim's dad even further. Right, because the whole, the whole point is for them to spend a quiet, romantic meal together so that he can get his hole. Yep. Yasmin and Tim's dad go to the Rovers and they see Tim and Sally. Yasmin thought Tim had a dicky tummy. This is news to Sally, and Tim wastes no time in throwing Tim's dad under the bus. His dad told him to lie. Tim's dad says that he just wanted Jasmine to himself for an evening and doesn't see why this is a capital crime because this is Jasmine's fault. This is not his fault. Well, this of is course. Jasmine's mm-hmm. fault. Jasmine doesn't think they had to lie. Sally is Sally and goes on again about how Jasmine's food is unhealthy and Jasmine says, fine, you can whistle if you think I'm cooking for you guys again. And back home, Tim's dad gives Jasmine a hard time for banning Tim and Sally from the house. She insists the that house that he didn't want <laughs> them to come to for a meal in the first place. Yeah, the house that isn't his house. Right. And, hmm. Yeah. She insists that she likes Sally in her own kind of way, but Tim's dad reckons that she has a funny way of showing it. Well, Sally has a funny way of showing that she likes Yasmin as well. They do have a, a weird kind of grumpy 
relationship with one another, but they do like each other. So after all this shit that's going on today, Yasmin goes to bed, not worried about any of the actions that Tim's dad has performed Ugh. or any of the attitudes that he's displayed. Mm-mm. She goes to bed worried about uh, or fretting about her relationship with Sally. Tim's, Tim's dad. dad. What, what a, a tit. tit. Oh, and uh. sadly, he turns up again in another storyline. And there's as much of a tit in that one as well. But we'll get oh, to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that was... Yeah, we'll get to that. Our next story is Norris's Return. Ta-da! This is probably the main story of the week. Ta-da! And Norris returns. What are you doing? It's a it's it's a it's a big event. The return of the Norris. We've been waiting on this for quite a while. We have. And I think we've probably spoiled it that this was something that was going to happen. Or we knew it was going to happen. It was talked about by the show. The show talked yeah. about this all the time. And, right. I, and again, I'm not sure why Corey spoils Corey, but Norris' this... return has been on the cards for a while and he's finally yes. back and he's looking pretty well. Yeah. It was good to see. Yes. I don't know how long he's going to be in it, but... He looks healthy. Now, this is your first encounter with Norris. Yes, it is. What are your initial impressions of him? Let's keep talking, shall we? <laughs> okay. On Monday, Frida has an estate agent round to evaluate the house. Mary doesn't think she has any right to sell up and she wants to speak with Norris. Go speak with Norris then, says Frida, and she slams the door in her face. At the florist, Mary suspects that Norris isn't away on a silent retreat on account of him being a nosy bastard. He thrives on gossip, she says, but he's not answering his phone. And Tracy wonders if Frida has bumped him off. And now Mary is really worried. Because that's what Tracy would have done. Yeah. That's what quite a few people would have done, I think. Mary's in the cabin filling Rita in on Frida's return. Rita thinks that this means that Emily is back, but alas not. Rita thinks that number three isn't Frida's to sell, and that's why Mary is so frantic. Rita suggests meeting up with the Rovers at lunchtime to go over it in a bit more detail. So later, sure enough, Rita's in with Tracy and Mary in the Rovers. She doesn't think the silent retreat is a thing either. Tracy's still working on the assumption that Frida's a murderer. Why the rush? Rita reminds them that the cabin was sold without so much as a message, so this is par for the course from Norris. Mary's had a Google, or a Vogel, I can't remember which. There are no retreats in Shepton Mallet, which is where Norris is supposed to be. Frida comes in for a pint, and Mary accuses her of being a murderer. She screams, murderer, at her and points her and makes quite a scene. Yep. Mm. A little over the top. We bet. Yep. Even for Mary, that was a bit over the top. And up, um, Mary was quite over the top on Monday. She was over the top all week. Particularly on Monday. Um, she was... She was a bit over the top today, too. She didn't really scream at anybody or... No, but she was... We'll get there. Mary's explaining to Jan about her odd relationship with Norris. Jan says people get married for tons of reasons and it's no one's business. Mary tells a shaggy dog story about her parents briefly joining the Plymouth Brethren, but a mix-up with a stolen tambourine during the winter of discontent put pay to that. Right, because Jan talks about his Catholic grandmother only married his grandfather because he had two pairs of shoes or something weird like that. Really? I don't remember that at all. Well, yeah, and then he, you know, that's why Mary talks about religion. And number three, Frida's going through old stuff and finds a pair of glasses that she rests next to the urn and a photo of Norris, which is obviously made us, meant to make us think that Norris is dead. Right. 
But we don't. Mary is still in the mood with Tracy. All Tracy was trying to do was help. Help? She poked and provoked Mary. She feels so stupid. Tracy tells her to phone Norris again, but it's going straight to voicemail. Mary says she's jumped in again without thinking, like that time she bought Paralympic tickets for Rio. That was a bit family guy, wasn't it? Remember? Remember that time I bought Paralympic tickets for Rio? That was my Peter Griffin impersonation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as good as my Cleveland Brown. It's It sounds about the same as your Cleveland Brown. <laughs> Does it really? Is, is that just your New Englander accent? That's my Seth MacFarlane accent. Tracy advises her to go and apologise to Frida. Mary apologises to Frida and Frida goes off to make a cuppa. Mary spies the urn and jumps to the conclusion that it's Norris. She opens it up and whispers Norris into it and then Frida is at her back and gives her a fright. Mary, rather melodramatically, throws the urn in the air and screams as she runs out of the house. She yells at Rita Spilling to call... Spilling ashes everywhere. Yeah, she yells at Rita to call the police and Mary pounces on Frida as she comes out of the house and slams her against the wall saying that she's making a citizen's arrest just as a taxi pulls up and a Panama-hatted Norris gets out. Norris is back. Yay! I go away for five minutes, he says. Been longer than five minutes, dude. So back inside, Frida's hoovering up the spilled ashes of her beloved pet. Mary has calmed down and is apologetic again. Charlie apparently was a hearing dog. Where has Norris been hiding out? Why hasn't he been answering his phone? He says he's been avoiding Mary and didn't want anyone uh, talking out of selling the house. He admits the cabin sale was insensitive and says he was a coward. He's going to move to Edinburgh and he wants a divorce from Mary and then he announces that he's engaged to Frida. That's an awful lot to take in. Yeah. And also, if you wanted things to be simple, you should have just beckoned in it yourself or at least returned Mary's calls and said, hey, I'm going to send Frida to sell the house because I'm moving to Edinburgh and marrying Frida so you can have your divorce. Mm -hmm. Because... That would have been the sensible thing to do. This doesn't stand up to a huge amount of scrutiny. No. So moving on. Norris and Frida have the house to themselves again and Frida reminds him that if he wants to move in with her, they have to sell the house and he has to divorce Mary. But there are lots of memories in that house for Norris and he looks conflicted. Then later Norris is sitting with Rita and Mary in the Rovers and Rita wonders what's going on with Frida. The two of them were barely communicating the last that she knew. This is a lot to take in. Norris insists everything is okay and thinks Frida is owed an apology from Mary. Again. So Mary apologises. Again. And Frida accepts. Again. Mm-hmm. Then Mary spots that Frida's wearing a diamond bracelet and screams gold digger at her. And Frida throws her out. Again. Well, yeah, she's like, Norris never bought me a diamond bracelet. And then Frida says something to her. Kind of. Cowish. Yeah. You know. And, I mean... Norris is supposed to be quite thrifty, right? Yes. He doesn't spend a lot of money on stuff, so it's odd that he would buy her. It didn't look like a very nice diamond bracelet, to be fair. No. It kind of looked fake, because it probably is. Norris doesn't think it's any of Mary's business if he buys Frida an expensive item of jewellery. Mary points out that Norris is a skinflint. Something's not right here. Mary has missed Norris and admits to overreacting. She wants to catch up, and so does Rita, and they ask him to hang around for a bit. And he, speaks, he says he's going to speak to Frida about that. Then later, Mary and Frida continue their feud on the street. Frida tells Mary that Norris isn't her concern anymore, calls her a stalker, and says there's nothing Mary can do to prevent her from marrying him. We'll see about that, says Mary. Norris can whistle for his divorce. Then on Wednesday, Frida and Mary have a brief but intense stare down on the street. 
Norris and Frieda are going through Emily's stuff, colour coding it for a skip or charity shop. Norris happens upon a clutch of letters addressed to Mary and becomes quite possessive of them. Frieda notices this and advises that they only speak with Mary through solicitors now. When he thinks he's on his own, he moves the letters to another box, but Frida sees him from the kitchen. No, no, no. It's it's a the box is a card. Is it the box is full of cards from Emily, but there's this clutch of letters addressed to Mary. And he, he doesn't put them in a different box, he just puts them underneath oh, no, okay. all of the things. And doesn't realize that Frida is watching him from the kitchen. Yeah. Because he's not very bright. Yeah. She's deaf. She's not blind. Seriously. Mary's at Roy's Rolls talking about having a summit with Norris. Rita thinks Frida isn't all that bad. After all, she took the blame when everyone thought badly of her following out uh, Norris's requests. Mary thinks Frida has got to her too. And Rita thinks Mary is perhaps a little bit jealous. And I think she is. Yeah. They weren't really ever romantic with each other, I don't think. But they were they very were much yeah, yeah, companions and stuff. Frida's at the cabin asking Rita for Mary's maiden name. Seemingly Norris was being shifted over a bunch of unopened letters addressed to M. Taylor. Rita confirms that this is Mary but wonders why Frida didn't just open them. Tell you what, bring them round here and Rita will be happy to have a look and see if anything fishy is going on. Trust Rita. Mm-hmm. It's funny. What, that Rita wants to get involved in this... Right, that she's snoopy. This crime. That she's nosy. Because, because of course it's Rita who's like this. This is... This is an archetype of the older woman in comedy, isn't it? Yeah. Using steam to steam the letters open so that it doesn't look like uh, they've been opened. I think some of them have been opened though, right? Right, but some of them are not because they are using steam to open them at, at one point. And I mean, that that gag is as old a, as uh, yes. White Christmas. And The Hills. Right. That couple that lived down the street that are 95. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Hill. Uh, what a terrible joke that was Norris and Mary are having a chat in the rovers it goes on for a bit and involves Emma but ends with Mary telling Norris that she will refuse to divorce him they're man and wife and that's how it's staying and then Rita and Frida are going through the correspondence the letters to Mary are from (gasps) well I never says Rita and later in a more calm moment that's a weird name well I never is that is that the, is that the brother to Will I Am? Yes, <laughs> Will I Never, and uh, the sister. Well, I never saw that coming. <laughs> Later, in a more calm moment, Mary knows that Norris is having doubts and didn't have a good, if unconventional, marriage. She, she asks. So it turns out that Mary's pen pal is Brendan Finch, editor of the Inexplicable, a paranormal magazine. Mary was head over heels for him, and these letters are from 2016. Frida wonders why Norris is keeping hold of them and reckons the clues are there to be found. Mm-hmm. So Rita continues to read the correspondence that's not addressed to her. No. Doesn't have any problems with this. No, of course not. It's quite She's a, doing it for Mary's sake. Oh, of course, yeah. It's quite a weirdly romantic letter that likens Mary to being sucked into a mothership. <laughs> Rita wonders if Mary asked Norris to keep hold of the letters, which is a far more appealing excuse than the alternative which is that Norris was keeping them from Mary. Frida wonders that Norris loves Mary. And maybe once, says Rita, but not now. But then, in another envelope, Rita finds an engagement ring. Yeah, because who sends expensive jewellery through the post in an envelope? Yep. (laughs) Yep. Is that... 
there's yeah, that, there's that's that something s- that people do. There's that scrutiny thing uh, <laughs> raising its head again. <laughs> then in the cabin, Rita and Frida are talking about confronting Mary with the letters. Frida thinks that they should ask Mary, seeing as they were addressed to her. And of course, in comes Mary, who wants to know, wait a minute, what's going on here? And through the back, Mary reads the letters while Rita and Frida try and fail to sneak away. When she's done, Mary is off to speak to Norris. Norris is defending himself. Mary says there was no defence from hoarding the apologetic letters, leaving his wife, begging her to marry him. She's never been able to trust anyone, thinking that he unapologetically cheated on her. But it's Norris who's in the shit in this situation. And from now on, she's Mary Taylor, and she never wants to see Norris ever again. Right, and she says, apparently, you know, Brandon was married, and that's why Mary broke it off with him. But in the letters, he has divorced his wife and apologized and everything. And Mary never knew any of this. Yes. Yes, that's... That's kind of what you were trying to say. Trying to say, but I didn't really write that out very well. Right, well. On Friday, Mary turns up at the cabin. She's left a message with Brendan that she's only received his billy-doo. And if she'd seen it sooner, she would have responded in kind much sooner. She got his engagement ring and the answer is yes, if it isn't too late. And she talks a bit about how they used to exchange messages in French and occasionally cling on. on. Hmm. Rita wonders if he changed his number, but directory services don't have it and the magazine only have the number that Mary Mary has. And he had left the magazine six months ago. Yep. At Roy's Rolls, Norris runs into Mary. He apologises and promises that he only had her best interests at heart. But then Mary gets a text from Brendan asking to meet up. Mary's throwing all her happiness eggs into this Brendan basket and she tells Norris to bolt. And at this point I'm cautiously optimistic that we might actually finally have a happy relationship for Mary for once. No, at this point I knew this is heading south very quickly. Something is going to go wrong. Let's I would see if like, I was right. I would like for this to happen, for Mary to have a fulfilling relationship in which, you know, she's not just a joke, but mm-hmm. a full-fledged woman, because this keeps happening where we use her as kind of a joke yeah, when a it prop. comes to relationship things, and I would like that to stop. Yeah, she's a punchline. Other overs, Mary is all dolled up, and comes Bernard, Brendan's brother. Well, that was difficult to say. He sent that message, and there's no easy way to say this, so I'm just going to say it. He did. He did. <laughs> Brendan is dead. Yes. He fell off a cliff while looking, while trying to tie his shoe while waiting for UFOs. Yeah, Mary is visited by a robin in the community garden, so <sighs> we know that something metaphorical is about to happen. No, it's not a metaphor at all. She it's calls just... the bird Brendan, and it drops down dead. No, it, no doesn't. it doesn't. It flies away. Flies away. In comes Rita, who eventually learns what's happened to Brendan. He died on a UFO hunt. Mm-hmm. He seemed to have tripped over his own shoelaces. That never happens. Nobody ever trips trips over their shoelaces. It's well, one shoelace, practically impossible to trip over your shoelaces. Well, one shoelace was untied, so she thinks that he might have bent down to tie it, lost his balance, and fallen off a cliff. But we'll never know. And that's the way he would have wanted to go. Mysteriously. As a mystery. Mm-hmm. Yes. No one slips on banana peels either, while we're at it. Rita takes her off for a pint. In the pub, Mary tells Norris that Brendan, I've written Brenda, 
that Brendan <laughs> is dead, and if it wasn't for Norris, she would have been married to him by now and accuses him of being responsible for the death of her happiness and probably of Brendan too. Right, because if they had been married, then she would have been with him on the UFO hunt or wouldn't have let him go or tied his shoelaces blah, blah, or blah. something. Right, or yeah. Picked up that banana peel. Frida <laughs> tries to intervene and Mary tells her to shut her fucking pie hole, you miserable old hag. Oh, and by the way, just yesterday, Norris was going to call off the engagement, so get it right up you. Right? Are no. we doing it? Okay, no. Norris blames Mary, so Frida confronts her. You proposed to my fiance? No, says Mary, I proposed to my husband. It's not that confusing. Well, actually it is, says everyone else in the Rovers. Mary reckons that Frida got a lucky escape. The look on Johnny's face was priceless. Sean came over and said something camp, didn't he? Yes, because he's Sean. This is all we get from Sean. Sean should have been at the Met Gala. The Met Gala? Yeah, the theme of the Met Gala this, this year was camp. I have no idea what you're talking about. No, that's... Um, never mind. Uh, Katy Perry wore a chandelier. Uh, am I having a stroke? <laughs> Sean says something camp and then quickly flips it off. Yes. That yes. seems to be Sean's purpose in the show now. Well, at least for this episode. <sighs> Poor Carol. Well, you know, he's not homeless anymore, so. Mary's back in the community garden and Brendan... So he's not Robin actually camping, so now he has to be camp. ...is back. Mary asks him questions about extraterrestrial life and how she received his beautiful letters. And Jan walks by and overhears this and asks if she's okay. Because she's talking to a bird. Mary says he's a kind and lovely man, but her heart belongs to another. It belongs to a robin bearing the soul of a deceased ex-lover. Yeah, so, so Jan I... uh, wishes them well. And walks away. <laughs> Have at it. This... It's fine to a point. I love Mary. I still love that scene where she's flossing. I love her stories. I love her tangents. I love that she's a bit goofy. I love everything about her. But sometimes the show just pushes it a little too far. Yeah, she's too Mary. And this is... this. And that was the case with the whole Robin thing, you know, for her to be like, it's one thing for her the first time to say, Brendan, is that you and the Robin? And then it flies away and then Rita comes and they go have a drink. It's another thing for her to be sitting in the garden again. The Robin come back. She has a long one-sided conversation with it. That, well, of course it's a that, one-sided conversation. <laughs> even that I was kind of okay with. But then when Jan comes by and says, are you okay? For her to continue this whole idea that she's going to have this relationship with a bird. It, it, too far. Too far, Corey. The too other far. bit I thought was too far was her throwing the urn up in the air and screaming as she ran out the house. That was too much. And, well, her being freaked out and dropping the urn, I, I didn't have a problem with. But then the grabbing... Frida and slamming her against the wall and the the screaming murderer in the yeah. rovers. Too much. Too much. So at home, Frida's still pissed off. She was an idiot to think that Norris cared for her. He just wants someone to look after him and she lists all the names. Of Myrtle, all the women. Angela, Rita, Mary, Emily. Well, she's not ready to add her name to that list. Buckle up, buckaroo, because this relationship is... Like, over like Rana 
quite dead. Would you stop? <laughs> I think we're done. There may be one more. Oh. <laughs> In the rovers, Norris reveals to Mary that Frida has left him and he doesn't know what to do. And he asks her what she wants. And she tells him the divorce papers are in the post, so have a nice life. Yeah, seriously. And that's how we finish Bye. that storyline for the week. Toodles. So, Hasta la vista, baby. So I'm not sure. Do you think Frida really is gone? Yes. She seemed quite certain about it. Yes. There's no real way for Norris to come back from this, I don't think. He's, no. There's no real point He's really in burnt his bridges... Yeah. Mary's never going to forgive him. Well, no. not soon, I don't think. No. And I mean, he's got his friendship with, with Rita, but Rita's house is pretty full. Mm-hmm. And he's already put number three on the market. His Edinburgh plans are now kind of scuppered because right. those were relying on well, Frida. Where's, where's Emily? Oh, presumably she's still in Peru. So maybe. On her own. They left an old lady in Peru by herself. Where is Emily? Hmm. Why has nobody asked us? I don't know. Or even how's oh, Emily? No, no, no. Rita did ask. Rita asked if Emily was back. And yeah, they said no. She asked if she was back. She didn't ask where she was. Yeah, that was weird. Hmm. Oh, well. Just please, can we just put Mary in a normal adult relationship with another human being, please? Please. I don't care if it doesn't last. I don't care if it ends horribly. Just, can we have one storyline where Mary is not a cartoon character? Like, some of the stuff with with Jude, where she's a full-fledged 3D human being. Because some of the stuff with Jude, when she confronts him and stuff, and she's like an actual human being. That was good. Mm-hmm. She's a great actress. Yeah, she is. I, I want to see... The full spectrum. Warning, this next storyline contains Tim's dad. This is Ryan, Bethany and Alia. You almost made me spit water. Yeah. On one day, there's some disappointing banter in the cabin between Ryan and Paul about DJing. Ryan seems to be a bit down in the dumps these days, maybe reflecting on where he is in life, peeling spuds and cleaning out restaurant toilets. Later is reading through a mix mag. One of his ex-colleagues is now a resident DJ somewhere fancy. And Bethany has managed to get him an audition with a top club. But Ryan says he's been out of the game for too long, but thanks anyway. Who says, who says no thank you to an audition? Yeah. Oh, thanks for, you know, putting all this time in, Bethany. Well, that's just a start. For, but... for something that I've just said I really want to get back into. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to decline it. What? Then at the Beast Road, Ryan is still down in the dumps and then comes Bethany again with a box of 12 inches and a job for Ryan doing an 80s disco. Ryan doesn't have a record player though. And most clubs don't have decks anymore and all of his tunes are on his laptop. Again, thanks but no thanks. And Ali can't believe his brother is being such an asshole. Which is weird because Ali is typically the one who tells Ryan he's an asshole. Mm-hmm. Ali points out to Ryan that Bethany is really into him and he should be more appreciative, but Ryan insists that they're just mates, which is something that Bethany later confirms. Ali doesn't believe either of them for a minute. Nope. Then on Wednesday, Alia comes down the stairs and Tim's dad demands that she checks the pot for tea and becomes agitated when she ignores him. She later says that she's sending out a tweet about getting Ryan to DJ on a Wednesday night, which according to Tim's dad means that she fancies him. 
Wait a minute. Did I miss something out there? Oh, uh, Bethany uh, talks to Alia and puts the idea in her head right. to get a DJ. So and Ryan finally agrees to it, right? Yeah. yeah, I think I missed that out for some reason. Uh, yeah, so... Jasmine says that she's got her hands burned far too often in the past for any of that nonsense, and Alia worries that this makes her a bit of a fuddy-duddy. Alia's in the bistro wondering when Ryan can do a paid gig at Speed Dial, early doors. Ryan is working, but asks to swap shifts with Daniel, and Daniel agrees if he can find some cover. Alia reveals that Bethany did the big sale, and this seems to knock the wind out of Ryan's sails. And again, it's like he won't take these other bigger gigs, but he'll do Speed Doll. But even then, he's not that. He's not enthusiastic about it. Well, he kind of is. Until he finds out that Bethany set it up. He seems to be pissed that Bethany's involved in this. Ugh. So Ryan and Bethany meet in the street when he announces his fancy gig at Speed Doll and admits that he owes her. She's quick to say that's true. And meanwhile, Tim's dad and Yasmin see this conversation. Seemingly, Tim's dad's nose has been put out of joint because he thinks he should have been the one DJing at Speed Dial. <sighs> Yasmin suggests that they take an hour each, and Tim's dad congratulates her on being considerate for once. Oh, what I am. <sighs> Back at wherever Bethany is living at the moment, they seem to be flirting quite a bit about chocolate biscuits and splitting headphones, but when Ryan moves in for a smooch, Bethany pushes him away and calls him an idiot. Bethany is living with um, Maria and Emma. Is she? Yeah. Is Maria and Emma living together? Yes, because Emma moved out of Billy's so that Sean could live there. And it's Maria's place and she needed roommates. Oh, right, okay. And Bethany moved out of... David's house because there's just far too many freaking people in that house. <laughs> yes. Tim's dad is messing about with the equipment at Speed Dial. He's playing he's planning on playing Hi Ho Silver Lining. Ryan comes in and says he can handle it, thanks. And Tim's dad says, I'm not your fucking roadie sunshine, and explains that Tim's dad has a second hour. Ryan says, Well, you can stick your DJ set up your arse. Right, right up, up your, your arse. And I'll- then, you know, jiggle it a little bit. <laughs> Maybe make sure infection occurs. Mm-hmm. Alia insists that it's Ryan's gig and tells Tim's dad to get to fuck. He's fuming with Yasmin. He has a fan turning up and everything. Alia tells Ryan that the place is a buzz with his set and she's brought in a track for him to play. We don't know what it is, but Alia says uh, that it was a joke and he doesn't know her very well. Well, maybe we should sort that, he says. In the bistro, Bethany's having a heart-to-heart with Sarah. Bethany explains that Ryan tried to kiss her and she was worried that she would want to take it further. She hasn't done it with anyone since Nathan and she's confused about her feelings. She admits to liking him and Sarah says that she has to speak to him then. Mm-hmm. And speed- speak. Let's, let's focus on this. Sarah says to Bethany, you should speak to him. Speak. No. Okay. Not anything else, just speak to him. Right. Take it slow. Oh yeah. Yeah. She doesn't say shag him. No. no. Later at Speed Dial, Ryan is playing Ancient Chemical Brothers. Maybe Tim's dad would have been a better idea. And Ryan asks Alia out for a drink after work and sundown because it's Ramadan and stuff, and Alia agrees. It's just a soft drink. Meanwhile, Bethany admits that she fancies Ryan and doesn't believe he'll mess her about. Sarah tells her that she needs to take a risk to trust again, and that she should speak to Ryan. Speak. 
<laughs> Anya comes into Speeddal uh, and talks about Bethany. Ryan says it's never going to happen. Ryan goes off to get ready for his date with Alia and Ali spots him salivating as she watches him leave. Outside though, Bethany grabs Ryan and asks for five minutes with him. She has something that she has to talk about. Not for his date, for his gig. Oh, get ready for his gig, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he's got mustard on his shirt because he's still wearing his bistro uniform. Back home, Bethany says that she got a fright from him. She's scared that it was what she wanted. She does fancy him, but it's scary and she's frightened of freaking out. Ryan says that she only has to say and he'd always make sure that she was up for it. And then they winch. And then they do And then they get the holes. Yes, yes. They do a little bit more than speaking. When Ryan is supposed to be hurriedly hurriedly changing clothes so that he can go to his paid gig and get paid for it. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh. And she's got to get back to work because she's yeah. on the clock. Yeah. But they've got time for a quick. Cynthia arrives at the speed dial only to discover that Tim's dad won't be doing a set after all. It took Cynthia three buses to get there and if no one plays hi-ho silver lining, someone's getting disemboweled. Yeah, Cynthia is the super fan and she's hilarious and she has two canes and is like wearing a pink bathrobe and is the most camp thing on the show now after Sean. Yeah, she... <laughs> She complains to Ali later about all her ailments. Oh, yeah. That I just couldn't be bothered writing out, so we'll be <laughs> skipping over that. So later, Bethany and Ryan have got their hole after all. He makes noises like he's playing the field a little bit, and she makes noises like she doesn't want him to, but they skirt around it a little and don't really talk about it. No. Bethany wants to watch his set, but he puts her off, and they arrange to meet tomorrow. So Ryan arrives at Speeddal five minutes late, and Tim's dad's already about to jump in. Nope. Uh, Ryan arrives and apologises, and Tim's dad continues to be a wank. Alia's disappointed that Ryan didn't get changed after all, but announces that she's okay just having a takeaway at his house later. Mm-hmm. Then towards the end of the set... And then he's like, do you want me to take it off? And starts to like take his shirt off. Or was that earlier that he tries to take his shirt off? I have no memory of that. Of course you don't. Towards the end of the set, Ryan notices that Alia's upset and goes off to see her, leaving Ali to finish up with the right, yeah. fade out. They said... Uh, play something with words to it and so Ryan puts in the song that, that Alia, Alia suggested earlier. Yep. Yeah. And this is upset her. Right. And then the old lady shouts to Ali that he should play some Slayer. Yeah. That, that was too far, I thought. Really? Yeah. I thought that was it was just enough. It wasn't like... I thought Slayer was just old enough to be... Yeah, but it's thrash metal. Yeah, but... And she's gone from high ho silver lining to rain and blood. Yeah, why not? If it had been Cannibal Corpse, that would have been far too far. <laughs> I think Slayer was still too far. Maybe she should have said Metallica or something like that. Something a little bit less thrashy. Eh. Anyway. so I thought it was funny. Alia's crying in the community garden. Luke apparently had an affinity for the song that Ryan was playing. It was a um, Libertine song, I think. It made her cry, we're to believe, and Ryan does his best to cheer her up, calling her brave for what she did after Luke died. Uh, some first date. This is, says Alia. And then she seems to put away all this uh, negative emotion and leans in to kiss Ryan, and he pulls away. And she's worried that she's chased him. But he admits to seeing Bethany, and although he tries to explain that Bethany had previously said no, she had subsequently said yes, and all the flirting he did with Alia was in between, Alia's having none of it, and tells him that she's going to grass him up to Bethany. Yeah, because apparently, apparently, if if you want to date someone and they say no, 
you're not you have to wait at least 24 hours before you ask somebody else on yeah, a date until somebody hits the reset button apparently so on friday bethany These catches up rules. with ryan on the street she's been looking for him she asks about the gig and he says it was only okay and he doubts alia will want him to do it again he claims to have gone home after and gone straight to bed and from a distance alia sees him talk as they discuss maybe he makes her breakfast from a distance i knew you were going to do that <laughs> i knew you were going to do that Ryan comes into speed dial to make sure Alia isn't going to blab to Bethany. He doesn't want to mess it up, and he admits that maybe he didn't, maybe he should have handled things differently. But he doesn't apologise, and so Alia doesn't think that she needs to play nice. He admits to being selfish and apologises, but now it's too late, and she chucks him out. Then Ali comes into the bistro so he can accidentally tell Bethany that Ryan is seeing Alia, which he isn't. No one tells Ali anything. Ali manages to compound this by saying that they only had their first date last night, and Bethany, like Rana. Is flattened by this information. Right. Well, because she seems to think that he had sex with her and then went and had a date with Alia afterwards. Which didn't happen. Which didn't happen. And he asked Alia out for a drink before she said she actually does want to have a relationship. But nobody seems to... She... Ali doesn't have that information, so... Yeah, later on he suggests that they set up a WhatsApp group <laughs> so he can be kept in the loop, which is quite funny. Yes. Ali shakes his head. Bitches be crazy, he says. No, he doesn't. Doesn't he? Ali is nice. I like Ali. Bethany comes into the rovers asking after Ryan and then orders a whiskey. She goes to the back and scuds Ryan across the jaw. Ryan tries to explain. He says nothing happened and it was her who asked him out. Why does he have so many problems recounting the order of events to anybody? He asked out Bethany. Bethany said no. Alia then asked him out and he thought, fuck it, why not? Then Bethany decided to ask and him And it was out, just for a drink. And they ended up getting their hole. Ryan tried to explain it to Alia, but she was upset about Luke very briefly and then tried to kiss him. And that's when Ryan gave her the brush off. This isn't all that complicated. No. Ryan and- says it wasn't a date, which it wasn't. Bethany says this was a big deal to her. He lied to her and she, she can't didn't. trust him no more. And I can't see what crime Ryan has done here other than not tell somebody who was upset that he doesn't want to go out with her. And yeah, uh, maybe I guess he should have told Bethany that he was going to have a date, go out for a drink with Alia. But it's not like he had an awful lot of time to do so and at this point it's really not important because he's already said to Alia that he doesn't want to date her because he is with Bethany and a date a drink is not a proposal of marriage it's not even going steady if that's even a thing anymore I I get that Bethany has been through a really emotional thing and she has trust issues I get that. But this ain't it, Chief. No. Ryan sees Ali in the street and calls her a hateful cow for dropping him in it. Alia claims innocence, then Ali slides over and admits it was probably his fault. Ryan thanks Ali for messing things up, but Ali throws it right back at him. Yeah, I was here to know. Ryan chases Bethany down to Roy's Rolls, calling it a stupid misunderstanding he just wants five minutes of her time. He explains that he didn't want to hurt Bethany or Alia. He really messed up and she agrees. Gary, who's there for some reason, tells him to quit while he's behind, and so reluctantly Ryan leaves. Yeah, who asked you, Gary? Yeah, you're you're not. What, who you're are not you dating to anyone in this? Right, you're not dating Bethany's mum anymore. GTF. 
Ryan is in Speeddal looking for his payment, so Alia hands it over. He apologises yet again for doing the wrong thing. He's an idiot. And Alia tells him that it's fine and offers him a regular gig. Ryan would love to. Alia yeah, tells him nice. not to give up on Bethany. And that was nice too. And, and she admits, she's like, look, I was really emotional last night. And I did fly off the handle a little bit more than I should have. And I recognize that. And that, I thought, was good. Yeah. Yeah. And Alia and Bethany bump into each other's at Dev's. Alia apologizes and tells her that Ryan really is cut up about it and wants to be with her. Well, Bethany says tough. Bethany. So that's as far as we get with that. I presume that the two of them are going to end up together. Of and course just they are. Drag this out, but you know who Alia should date? Alia should date Ali. It'll be Ali and Alia. I'd hate that. That'd be impossible. That would Ali make my Alia. life fucking unbearable. <laughs> It'd be like um, Adam and Eve. No, uh, I could have done that. Adam and Eva. <laughs> and there's Adam and Eve as well. Oh yeah, briefly. Uh, Not Adam and Steve yet, though. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Give it time. Fingers crossed. Oh, one can only imagine that Muppet face. (laughs) Yikes. So, we're into kind of the dregs of the stories now. Uh, Story number five of the week, I think this is. This is the little bit about Gemma and Chesney. On Monday, there was some disappointing banter in the cabin between Gemma and Paul, where Paul essentially mentions how bad a mum they have, which makes Gemma worry that she'll turn out the same. Chesney is round the kebab shop and gives Gemma a hard time for lifting heavy boxes of pita. She's preggers, he says, so she has to take it easy. So then Tim turns up at the kebab shop looking for a chicken kebab. And Gemma's sitting on the floor watching a movie on her phone and she tells him to make it himself because she's been told not to lift a finger. And later it looks like Tim works at the kebab shop as he serves uh, Alia who wants change. Yeah, he's just making change, he's not serving her. And in comes Dev and Chesney. What the fuck's going on here, says Dev. Dev seems to think that Tim is trying to rob him. Yeah. Because that's what best friends do. Yeah. Best friends with steady jobs go into their friends' establishments and rob the till. Yeah. What? Chesney explains that Gemma's pregnant and Gemma admits to taking advantage of this and Dev is placated by it. And that's all that happened in that story. Sort of. No, it was funny because Paul eventually showed up and he and, and Gemma are watching Fast and Furious four i believe on Gemma's laptop well tim does the all of the serving stuff and tim can have a chicken kebab because he doesn't eat the bread yep and that's where all the grease gets soaked up so he just eats the chicken and the veg and that makes it healthy it just means that the grease oh well i guess if he's throwing the bread out with right. the grease yeah i suppose yeah let's talk about paula and sophie now Let's talk about sex, baby. No, let's talk about Paula and Sophie now. And sex. On Wednesday, Paula's passing on details of her co-worker to Sarah, just in case Nick needs assistance while she's away. She's off to Spain on a horse-trekking bullshit thing. Sally happens along and wonders if they have a chance to meet up before she goes, and they arrange to meet at the bistro later. So Paula and Sally have had a lovely time catching up, and she passes on her love to Sophie, who's creepily watching her get in a cab and then driving off. On Friday, Paula meets Sophie at Speed Dallin and have an awkward conversation about a missing scarf that Paula thinks might have been left with Sally. Well, why don't you text her, asks Sophie. Paula compliments Sophie and then goes to leave, but Sophie asks her if she wants to hang around until her break in five minutes, and Paula does. So Sophie and Paula are chatting about Paula's horse riding holiday to Spain. 
Paula thinks that they were pretty stressed the last time that they met and Sophie apologises for putting Paula in a difficult position. Paula admits to missing Sophie and is interested in getting into some more difficult positions. If you know what I mean. Paula admits that her scarf isn't really missing. Which we already knew. So Paula and Sophie have had a fab time when Paula says that she'll call her when she gets back and she's about to leave but then she changes her mind and comes back and asks Sophie to go pony trekking with her and her posh mates. The only downside is that they'd have to share a room with each other. Uh oh. So later, Sally and Tim get home to find Paula and Sophie coming downstairs fresh from getting their hole off of each other. Correct. Does this mean what I think it means? And Sophie says it means that she'll be going pony trekking. Well, that's not what I thought it meant, said Sally. <laughs> They're back together. It's official. We're Nay! getting our homes. And Sally puts the kettle on. So I'm quite happy about this. Yes. And then Sally says, if any of your other posh mates drop out, I, I quite like pony trekking as well. And Paula goes, yeah, sure. And as soon as her back, she goes, no, I'm not, no, no, no that's not going to happen. No. Which makes us think that maybe Sally enjoyed prison a little too much. No. <laughs> really? Orange is a new black? Pony trekking. What could that possibly mean? Oh, mean anything. Jeez. Oh, that's nice. I like, I, I'm, I'm happy about this. It's good to see, you know, uh, a happy, healthy lesbian relationship. Yeah, until Sophie does something stupid to where fuck nobody it up again. Cr- where, no, where there isn't constant crying and nobody's going to die. No, there wasn't any crying in that relationship, really. Yeah. yeah it was quite good. Healthy. I like Paula. I'm quite happy that she's back. Let's talk about the talent show now. We haven't had the talent show yet. No, but we've had Emma doing some uh, rousing up in two scenes. Some interest for it. A devs, Emma is asking him if he'll enter the talent competition, and he starts to do. He's like, a I got David it. Okay. Boy impression. And Emma says, "Who's that?" And Can that's not realistic at all. Major Tom. Sings Emma Dave. says, "Who's that?" Mm-hmm. Which is not realistic at all. No. So then Emma is now at Roy's Rolls trying to sign Norris up to the talent show, this, which is going to happen at the Rovers. Mm-hmm. They've got an Elvis impersonator and someone who impersonates domestic appliances, and I can guarantee you that at least one of them is Kirk. No, because Kirk's got to sing with his guitar. Oh, is he? I would hope so. Oh, is this what this is about? I hope so. Oh, dear. Anyway, that's all that happened, so nothing much to say And about Emma that. impersonates a refrigerator by putting her hands up like this and going, hmm. Yeah. That was great. I don't understand why you've even put that in. Because it happened. Yeah, but we don't always put everything that happened in. I always in. put everything that happened. Every every storyline, yes I do. Mm. Is this really a storyline? It happened, it was in two scenes that becomes a thing. If it only Meh. happened in one scene, I wouldn't have mentioned it. Alrighty. Next, and our penultimate storyline of the night, is Tim's heart shite. On Friday, Tim is taking a delivery outside the house while Steve and Dev eat salad and quinoa. Sally worries that it's more replica shirts, but he insists not. It's his new active wear, and he asks if she fancies a power walk. She's a bit sore from yesterday. Uh-huh. But she insists, but he insists, he has uh-huh. this heart age thing to do later. Uh-huh. So Dev and Steve turn up at Tim's to do the blood pressure challenge, and Tim's heart age is down to 42. He's won. Dev and Steve hand over the 100 quid, but they've all succeeded in reducing their heart ages as well, and Tim celebrates by allowing Sally to sniff his oxter. Right, and he's already offered Paula a sniff as well. Who does have a sniff? Yeah. They both have a sniff. Yeah. Like, have a yeah, sniff yeah, just a little bit. And then Steve kind of bursts his bubble a wee bit by insinuating that all of this expensive 
Chat Gear has cost more than what he just won. Which it absolutely did. Of course it did. Yeah. So our final storyline for tonight is Robert and Carla. Oh, yeah. Yeah. On Wednesday, Robert's opening the bistro ahead of Ryan, who passes on the message that Michelle won't be in today. Peter apparently has been calling her, threatening to quit rehab to go looking for Carla, and she's going to look for her instead. Doesn't sound like a very Peter thing to do. Much? Threatened to quit rehab? After one week? Mm. To go look for Carla? I don't know, it just didn't ring true. But, uh, really? Yeah, no. It absolutely it rang true. But Robert... he's a freak. Rob... <laughs> That's a bit harsh. Robert needs her in today. He has this thing that he has to do. What thing? Mind your own, says Robert, and he calls Michelle but only gets her voicemail because nobody answers the phone anymore. No. Michelle is filling in Daniel on her plans with Carla. She's going to check hostels and hospitals and stuff because this is the anniversary of Aidan and she's worried about her and she leaves in a hurry. Right, and this is also the anniversary of our show. Yeah, that's not why she's leaving in a hurry, though. No, but this is how we know because... It- this is the anniversary of Aiden's death, which is the first week we did this. Yeah, we've talked about this. Huh? Yeah, I just like talking about it. Robert is at the bistro with a mahoosive bunch of flowers for the restaurant for some reason. Oh, are they for Aiden? asks Daniel. Uh-oh, and Robert changes track and asks Daniel to forget about it. Daniel is fly-posting missing posters of Carla when Michelle sees him and is shocked to learn that Robert is now offering a cash reward. Mm-hmm. So she goes back to the bistro and thanks him for this. He offers to cover for her if she wants to continue looking for Carla, but she's done wandering the streets for today, and she and Robert share a sympathetic smile. She's worried that some serious harm has come to Carla, and Robert says that she shouldn't worry, and she can always come talk to him. He still cares about her in the hug. And they have some awkward chat where it sounds like Michelle wants to get back together, and Robert swallows his chin as he backs away from that, and Michelle seems to get a little bit upset. Right. On Friday, Shona's at Roy's Rose chatting with Michelle and Daniel about the still-missing Carla. No one has come forward with any information, and then comes Robert and apologises for upsetting Michelle yesterday, but she insists that it's fine, and they're okay, and they're friends, and they're where they should be, and so they agree to meet for lunch later. In the kitchen at the bistro, Daniel starts to wind Robert up about him and Michelle. Robert thinks that she was hitting, hinting on getting back together, but that's not what he wants. Daniel knows that they love each other, but too much has happened. They want different things. Like lots of babies, says Robert. Just one. And Michelle don't want no lots of babies. No, she doesn't even want one baby. In the bistro, an apologetic Robert has to postpone his lunch with Michelle. Something's come up with a supplier or something to do the wine or something. I wasn't really paying attention. Right, but that's not true. Daniel offers to help out, but no. Robert needs to do this. He tells Daniel to get Michelle anything she wants, and she wants wine. Of course she does. Michelle and Ali are chatting about Robert and the relationship. She was the one who ended it, but she misses him, but she misses her best mate too. Ali gives her a pep talk, things will work out, and they still have each other. Right. Which was nice. So Robert's not at the wine suppliers. No, he's at a hotel asking about where the restaurant is. Yeah, he's there to meet somebody, he's all dressed up. Mm-hmm. And then he sees Carla in a hoodie. Someone's called her Miss Donovan. He says her name, and she bolts. And Robert chases after her. And she bumps into a random, allowing Robert to catch up to her. And she begs him not to hurt her. She's in this fancy hotel. But she's dressed... Kind of street... Yeah. And like the hoodie and hoodie stuff. Hoodie and trackies and like and when stuff. somebody is calling her Miss Donovan, she's like, what do you want? And leave me alone. And why do you... I don't know. It was weird. Robert calms her down. For some reason, the random hangs around until Robert tells him to sling his hook. Ro- which which he does. Yes. He's like, are are you sure everything's okay? And Robert's like, yeah, I 
I'll take care of it from now. And the guy says, fair enough, and leaves. He tips his hat. Yes. Wishes them all a very pleasant day. Yes. And goes about his business. Yes, as... As randoms should. Yes. <laughs> yes, as other randoms should take a note. Yes. Oh. Robert apologises for how he left things with her, and he tells her everyone will be so relieved to see her. Carla does not seem herself at all. Robert calls to... Uh, Robert she tries to call... with her hair. Yeah, she just can't stop playing with it. It's going to make it all greasy. Robert goes to call Johnny, but Carla stops him. And there's a beautiful wide shot of the two of them sitting on the pavement up against the redstone wall. Yeah, I this, liked that shot. That was a nice shot. That was beautiful. It was directed by Abe Dukes. Oh, good it good work, Abe. No, it, it wasn't, wasn't our friend. It wasn't Matt Hilton, no. no. It, but it had a very Matt Hilton flavour to it. Yeah. Carla worries that they'll find her. They're everywhere, she says. Who? And again, says who Robert. are they? So Robert takes Carla to the van and promises to take her somewhere safe. She gets in and buckles up, and when she's in the van, Robert gets on the phone to Michelle. He's found Carla in a hotel, but she's completely paranoid. He'll be back soon. Robert gets in the van and promises everything will be okay, but Carla already looks spooked to fuck because through the uh, the mirror, she sees that Robert's been on the phone. So Robert, it seems like just... he was on. It seems like she saw something else in the mirror as well that spooked her. What do you think? I don't know. Because it seemed like Robert was kind of out of the angle of the mirror. Yeah. He was like behind the van. I'd, he still, he could have waited. Yeah. He didn't need to phone this one in. No. So nearly home, says Robert, and Carla still isn't chatty. And as they stop on the street, she bolts out of the van. Robert gives chase, but is hampered by two would-be good Samaritans who slug Robert in the guts, allowing Carla to make good her escape. Right, yeah. They think that he's bothering her or something. Right. And she does nothing to disabuse him of this. Right, yeah. But Robert's like, look, she's ill. She's, I'm just trying, she's family, you know. I know this person. And like the guy especially is like, blah. But then after they punch him, after he punches them, they leave. And they don't seem to, you'd think that they would have said, asked Carla where she wanted to go and you want to report this to the police or stuff but no they just leave yep yeah nice nice one random just looking that random was just looking for an excuse to punch robert yep yeah <laughs> other rovers johnny realizes that he has a missed call from robert he calls him back and he gets robert's voicemail mm-hmm. this is getting ridiculous that people just don't answer the phones anymore no well robert's just been punched so robert hurries into the rovers and explains how he lost carla Johnny quickly closes up the rovers despite Sean being there and more right. than capable of running the show. And, and Sean does say, I'll, I'll take care of it, you guys just go. Everyone pours on the street shouting on Carla and we see her around the corner looking timid and distressed and hidden. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yay! So at least Carla's back. Yay. Kinda. Uh, I was kind of hoping we'd get through a whole week without any roof nonsense. Oh, well. Who do you think Robert was meeting at the hotel? I have no idea, but he's been having secret little meetings. Right, yeah. And that big bouquet of flowers was for someone other than the bistro, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, I have a feeling that Robert is seeing someone else. It's not that wee lassie from the... It's either that or Irish Tina. Oh. Does he have a... Yeah, they do have a connection with Irish Tina, doesn't they? Right, with Taylor. Tyler. Tyler, whatever his name is. Mary Taylor. There's Taylor. There's Tyler. There's something. There's Hayes. There's William Henry Harrison. I died in 30 days. 
Uh, yeah, so that's kind of intriguing. This makes me less and less... Inclined to think Robert is the baddie. Correct. Or anything to do with the roof yeah. whatsoever. But that means Nick. And Nick's too obvious, isn't it? <sighs> Who knows? Uh. Anyway, let's wrap this up. Do you think... Well, we'll talk about a couple of more things before we wrap this up. Well, let's hurry up and do that. Moment of the week. <sighs> what do you think? I, uh, I quite liked Robert and Carla having their little chat up against the wall, but that was more from how it was shot than anything right. else. Um, and the fact that he's able to talk her down. And I guess we did see from that exactly the extent of right. Carla's distress. Right. And Robert was pretty nice. Yes. Yeah. Any of the Norris stuff stand no. out? No. Mary stuff was too over the top. And the Ryan and Bethany stuff? Nothing really stands out in that. And we're never giving it to Tim's dad. God, no. I think that might be it then. The right. little head-to-head between Robert and Carla up against the red wall. That's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. A boring of the moment of the week. Norris asking Frida which coloured dots are for which things. <laughs> yeah, was... The keep or the kip or the charity shop. Keep or the skip. Or the charity shop. Yep. Yeah. That's our boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. That was pretty boring. Yeah, it was awful. We didn't need to, just too much filler. Actually, all the Emma stuff was pretty boring as well, but... No, this is, that was more boring. Yeah. So it is, oh, it's just a little before 9.45. Shall we wrap this up? Yes, we've got kids to put to bed. So you want to get in contact with us, here's how you can do so. We are at Cody Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com. And we have a blog. That's the talk of the street podcast.wordpress.com. Thanks for, thanks for sticking with us for a year. Anybody who's been with us from the start. Woohoo! And thanks for making it to the end of another episode. We'll be back next week with more Talk of the Street. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.